you would open to Revelation chapter 12. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, words will be on the screen behind me. Revelation chapter 12, verses one through six. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one, is to, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. The story behind the story. We're fascinated by it. We're hungry for it. That story that explains what goes on behind the scenes, whether it's the backstage pass to the Taylor Swift concert to meet her and her team and all that goes on to put together this amazing concert that you see, or the basement of the Biltmore Estate in Asheville when you tour that room and you learn how this beautiful mansion came to be. Or we, we want to read and, and hunger for and sometimes become fixated on that conspiracy theory that explains the predicament that we're in. It's the story behind the story. It's that, that desire to get a little peek into an unseen reality that accounts for the reality that our eyes see. That's why this Revelation 12 is so fascinating. It's the story behind the story. It's, it's like a backstage pass to Jesus' birth. It's the behind the scenes of what went on when Jesus was born into this world. It's the story behind the cute, serene, iconic manger scene that you pass probably every day going into your neighborhood or maybe you have a manger scene in your yard. Revelation 12 is the story behind Jesus' birth, but it's also the story behind your story. It's the story behind your story of struggle and it's the story behind your story of hope. So let's start with the story of struggle, your story of struggle. Verses one to two, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, who is this woman? And why is she crying out in birth pains? Well, the key to interpreting Revelation is to understand that the imagery and the symbolism most of it, if not all of it, is pulled from the Old Testament. And that's certainly the case here with this woman. 
There's two passages, one Old Testament, one New Testament, that give us a clue to who this woman is. Isaiah 54.1 says, Sing, O barren one, or barren woman, who did not bear. This is addressing the woman as the mother of the people of God. Old Testament Israel. From the prophet Isaiah, this is, this is telling of a time that's coming that was gonna be really difficult, a real time of struggle in Israel's life. This woman represents the people of God. We go to the New Testament, Galatians 4, 26. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Again, woman representing the mother of the people of God, the community of, of God's people. And notice what she's wearing. She has a crown of 12 stars. 12 stars represents the 12 tribes of Israel, Old Testament, 12 apostles of the New Testament church. All right, this is the woman represents the church, the people of God through the ages. And this is confirmed in, in chapter 12 of Revelation in verse 17. It says, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now, who are her offspring? On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Those who believe the gospel and trusted Jesus. So the woman in this passage are those who trusted in God's Messiah from Old Testament to New Testament. It's the church. It's the people of God. You say, well, why is this woman crying out in agony of birth pains. Well, if you go to the Gospel of Luke, you see the genealogy of Jesus and it, takes, it tracks you from the birth of Jesus all the way back through the birth of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way back to the birth of Adam. From the very beginning, there's this long line of generations that was leading up to the birth of Christ. And before Jesus was ever born in a manger in Bethlehem, this long line of generations experienced birth pain after birth pain after birth pain. You look at uh, Israel in Egypt for 400 years in awful slavery. They get freed from slavery. They arrive in the promised land. The temple's built, they're in Jerusalem. Then their home gets destroyed. They're taken into exile in Babylon. You get to the New Testament after the birth of Christ and you read the book of Acts and there's all of this persecution on God's people. Your story is a story of struggle because the story of God's people through the ages has been a story of struggle. Now you say, why? Right, every person here understands struggle. That's the human condition. But why has that been the story through the ages? Why does it continue to be the story? And we could look at recent history and you, and you point to a lot of, a myriad of answers, near and far. You look around the world in China. Why is the, is the, is the church there in the story of struggle? You could say, well, because of persecution or the lack of availability of Bibles or, or the oppression of a Marxist type regime or pastors getting thrown in jail, some of them being killed, or you go to Central Africa where there's a story of struggle. You say, why? 
You could say because of tribalism, because of the endless regional wars that go on there, the astonishing pressures of the multiplication of the AIDS virus that wipes communities out. And then you arrive near to our own country here, the West, and you say, why is the struggle here? And you could point to the breakdown of the family. You could point to pluralism that makes everything relative. You could point to the cancel culture movement. You could point to the lack of truth. You could point to the lack of any kind of morality. All these answers that we give for the struggles that we see in our world and in our culture, all the answers we've just looked at are historical, sociological, psychological. They're all performance related. And none of those are necessarily wrong, but none of those can sufficiently explain the struggle that we experience in our lives. All of them are woefully insufficient. And if the diagnosis is insufficient, then the solution is gonna be insufficient. So why is the story of struggle so true of our lives and so true of the church through the ages and so true of history, so true of our world? Verse three, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, seven diadems. Who is the great red dragon? Verse nine. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The dragon is Satan. What does Satan do? Verse four. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now, a third of the stars cast down to earth. What does that mean? Well, in Hebrew poetry, oftentimes nature joins in with what's going on in the world. So if things are good, the trees are dancing for joy. If things are bad, the stars are falling from heaven. It's not literal. It doesn't mean that literally a third of the stars fell from heaven. It means that the universe was shuddering at the catastrophe that was about to happen. And that catastrophe was Satan standing ready to devour Jesus when he was born. You say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's the cute manger scene? Where's the nice, peaceful, serene, kind of iconic manger scene? I kind of like to stay there. But this is the reality behind the scenes. This is the battle, the cosmic battle in the heavenlies that was taking place when Jesus was born. It was in the unseen realm, but it made its way into the seen realm of earth stage. You say, how's that? Well, in Matthew chapter two, it says that King Herod ordered that all the male children of Bethlehem be killed. 
King Herod sought to kill Jesus. And so what you see there is this unseen realm, the, the backstage battle was playing out on earth stage in the seen realm. This battle behind the scenes played out in earth stage. And we learn from verse 12 of Revelation 12 that Satan's rage continues today against the body of Christ, against the church. And that continues today in the lives of God's people and in our world. You say, what's that look like? What's your story of struggle on this Christmas Eve? What, what gives you sleepless nights? What maybe has put you into a, a, a season of anxiety or depression? What causes you to, to weep? What causes you to maybe be at the point where you're just ready to give up and throw in the towel, whatever that looks like? Everyone has a story of struggle. It's the human condition. Behind that story of struggle, your struggle, struggle of the church through the ages, the people of God through the ages, behind that story of struggle is what we read here in Revelation 12, that there's a battle, that there's a battle going on. And however you answered those questions of what your story of struggle is, if the reason that you give for those is psychological or performance related in any way, then your solution or your answer to that struggle is gonna be human performance centered and it's gonna fall woefully short. Now, if I stopped here, I would have done a masterful job of depressing you on this Christmas Eve. Your story of struggle doesn't end as a story of struggle. That's why we're here. There's a story of hope that can be your story of hope on this Christmas Eve. But like the struggle, it starts backstage, it starts behind the scenes, and your story of hope doesn't start with you. That's good news. Verse five, she gave birth to a male child, one who's to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The devil stood there ready to devour Jesus, but he didn't succeed because Jesus was caught up to God and to the throne where he would rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's a quote from Matthew or from Psalm 2 that speaks of the reign of Jesus. That phrase, caught up, speaks of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. When he was caught up, Jesus was raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven. In that one phrase, you have the childhood, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, all covered, that Jesus was caught up. And the result of Jesus being caught up to God is explained in verses nine to 10 of Revelation 12, and it's beautiful. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, here it is, here's the hope, here's the victory. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Jesus was and is victorious. And this victory was experienced nearly 2,000 years ago in the heavenly realms and on earth stage when Jesus was born. The question becomes, how does that victory translate into your life? How does that story of hope become your story? How does that story become yours on this Christmas Eve? Verse six. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Notice the child has ascended into heaven. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The woman, the church, the people of God are left on earth. Two words, two symbols that are important. 1,260 days in the wilderness. What do they mean? Let's start with a number. On an idealized 30-day month, 1,260 days is 42 months, or three and a half years. It's described in verse 14 as a time and times and a half time. That's three and a half years. It's repeated, whether it's 42 months or that phrase or three and a half years, it's repeated numerous times in chapters 12 and 13 of Revelation. That three and a half years was very well known in Jewish history, in the history of God's people. It referred to a time, 167 to 164 BC, three and a half years that was over a hundred years before Christ was born. It was a time in the, in, in the history of the people of God of horrendous suffering. That if you were to say three and a half years, yes, they knew exactly what that was. It's used here symbolically. It's not speaking of a, of a literal three and a half years sometime in the future. It's used of that time or represents that time between Christ's first and second coming in the wilderness where the church exists until Jesus returns. Now, what's the wilderness? Well, throughout the Old Testament, the wilderness has a twofold symbolism. On the one hand, it represents a, a, a place of trial, a place of testing, a place of, of God preparing his people for the promised land. Think of 40 years between Egypt and the promised land when God's people were in the wilderness. While it was a time of testing and trial, it was also a time where God met his people, right? He cared for them. He made sure their sandals didn't wear out. He gave them manna. He gave them, he gave them quail. He gave them food, right? He took care of them. And so the wilderness today is no different. The wilderness represents a time of trial, a time of testing, 
a time when you're under pressure, a time of pain, a time of stress. But the wilderness also represents a time where God woos you and is winning you with his love and showing you his mercy and showing you his grace and showing you his kindness. The wilderness is, it's both. And so your story of struggle, whatever that is on this Christmas Eve, whatever your story of struggle is, it's a wilderness. And I think every one of us would be quick to say, I recognize my wilderness, my story of struggle as a time of testing, as a time of pressure, as a time of stress, as a time of pain. We all resonate with that. But the question would be, do you recognize your wilderness as nourishment from Christ, as a time of being nourished? And not only that, as a time that God has prepared for you. Notice that the woman goes to the wilderness in this passage in Revelation 12 as a place prepared by God, which means your wilderness, your story of struggle has been prepared by God. And it's a time of stress and pain and, and suffering, but it's a time where God meets you and he draws you to himself and he nourishes you through his son, Jesus. It's a time of testing, but it's a time of nourishment. And we all live in the wilderness between Christ's first and second coming. Author Daniel Nyeri recounts the gripping story of his mother becoming a Christian, coming to know Christ. He says this of his mother, she grew up in a devout and prestigious Muslim family. She was a doctor. She had wealth. She had esteem. Seven million in gold coins, thousands of acres on a Persian countryside. Ten years of education that gave her a medical degree. A home, a family. She had all of that. But then she came to forsake all of that when she turned to Jesus and she followed Jesus. She was forced to flee for her life from Iran and land in the United States as a refugee. She was in the wilderness. God had prepared a wilderness experience for her that was full of stress and pain and suffering, but also filled with a time of nourishment. Listen to what her son Daniel says about this experience of his mother coming to Christ. She had all that wealth, the love of all those people she helped in her clinic. They treated her like a queen. She was a devout Muslim. And she's poor now. People spit on her on buses. She's a refugee in places where people hate refugees. And she'll tell you, it's worth it. Jesus is better. 
It's true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Your story of struggle becomes a story of hope when you turn to Jesus. When you trust him no matter what. And you, when you receive his tender nourishment and his tender care. As we darken the room and as we light candles, may the circumstances of your wilderness struggle, whatever that is this Christmas Eve, fade into the darkness. And may the hope of your Savior Jesus be as real to you as the light is before you. Let's pray. Father, every one of us comes to this Christmas Eve with a story of struggle. It's, it's part of the human condition. But Father, you haven't left us in our story of struggle, whatever that may be. You came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, to give us a story of hope. And Jesus, while you have ascended to heaven, you have not left us. You've given us your spirit to nourish us, to comfort us, to tenderly care for us as we journey through the wilderness towards the promised land of new heavens and new earth one day. Father, as we darken the room, as we light candles, may the twofold symbolism of the wilderness be before our eyes, that there is a darkness that is painful, full of trial, testing, pressure, but Father, there is a light. There is Jesus Christ who is our hope, who is with us, who is nourishing us in the midst of it. Father, fill us with hope as we sing now to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.